Good morning. It is fantastic to see everybody here together this morning together. It's always a joy to be here with God's people, worshiping him, uh, to have the study that we had before class began, or before the worship service began, to go to him in song, in prayer, to look at his word. And that's what we'll be doing now is worshiping him in in a form of looking at his word and hearing what he has to say. So it's wonderful to be together and to remember Christ's sacrifice for us. If you're visiting with us, a first-time visitor, I am not the regular evangelist. Um, I'm sorry that you came for the first time when I'm speaking, but I will be speaking from God's Word. We have two very gifted evangelists, Jeremy and John, and I would encourage you to come back at some point when they're speaking and uh, hear them maybe more uh, gracefully present the Word to us. But we'll be looking at God's Word today, I assure you that. And I would like to publicly thank Ted for making me tear up during the prayer. the, the real reason that we're leaving is because I've been losing height as I get older, and I'm about to where I can't stand up above the pulpit anymore. So, um, I'm going to start out this morning by asking for a show of hands in just a second. How many of you have raised a child to the point that they're in their last year of high school getting ready to leave the home in the next year? Raise your hand if you're there. So, fair number of people here. You're going to know exactly what I'm talking about in just a second. The rest of you, if you have kids, you're going to know one of these days, not very far down the road. But when you have a child that gets to that last year and you realize, I've got less than a year left with this child before they move off into the world, they're on their own at college, at work, living on their own, wherever they're going, you realize, I've just got a year left, and you start kind of panicking a little bit, thinking, have I trained them all the things they need to know to be on their own? You think about all the big things, but even the little things, little things like, do you know not to put red clothes in with the white clothes in the laundry? How often do you think you ought to wash your sheets? You remember you need to get the oil changed in your car every X thousand miles. Do you know how to write a check? You know not to fill out or complete every application for a loan or a credit card that gets emailed to you, right? So things like that that you know, aren't the big items in life, but they make a big difference in life, and they make their life smoother if they know those things. So we, we're worried about their life going well. Um, and so we, we are concerned about those things. Well... Since Jenny and I decided this last fall that we're going to move to Tampa, um, that's really in a very strong way how I felt about you, about Trader's Point. I had always actually thought I would be here until I died um, and and moved on to be with the Lord. But since we've decided to be where our daughters and granddaughter are and try to continue to influence them spiritually, uh, I've been really focused on the future of this congregation and thinking about that very strongly. It's always been on my heart, but even, even more so at this point in time. Um, And as I was preparing for the Law of Moses class, Nathan Rentschler and I are teaching that right now, it occurred to me that that's what Deuteronomy is. Deuteronomy is Moses' farewell address to the Israelites right before he dies. I put on on the slide farewell hyphenated. We think of that word farewell sometimes as just being a greeting like goodbye. But it actually means to farewell, to do well. And that's what Deuteronomy is. It's Moses telling them how to do well in life. Um, and, And if you look at Deuteronomy 1 1, He says, it starts out there in the book, these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness. So he's talking to them right before they enter the promised land, and as you read to the end of the book, it's right before he dies and goes on. And given the fact that besides our Lord Jesus, Moses is the greatest leader who's ever walked the face of the earth, what better way uh, for me to think about things that I should impart to you than to look at what Moses told the Israelites. If it was important for him to tell them, it's important for me to tell you. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. So we're going to start out by reading the entire book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> Kidding. 
we are going to fly through a lot of it because I, I want to make a point about the volume of some things that are in there. So we're going to move through a lot of it uh, very quickly as we do that. But we're going to consider three main thoughts this morning. The first two are things that are woven all throughout the book. And then the last point we're going to look at is at the very end of the book uh, as he closes his address to the Israelites. So the first thing that we want to look at is their history. Deuteronomy is full of Moses recounting the events of their history. Things that happened from the time they left Egypt 40 years ago, because they're at the end of this journey now about to enter Canaan. It's been 40 years that he's been with them from the time they left Egypt. So he's looking at the past 40 years and the result of that. And a couple things to note as we, as we look at this. He repeatedly points out their successes. And he wants them, he tells them, I want you to learn from that, that God is with you, as we look at the successes in our past history. And to use that to power the difficult task that lays ahead of them. To use that to power obeying God precisely. And he attributes all their failures as he looks at their history. He talks about their failures too, but he attributes all those failures to not trusting God, to not following God's way, as a reminder again that they need to follow him precisely. A second thing to note is he addresses this group 40 years later when all of the original adults have died, save Joshua and Caleb. None of the rest of the adults are left. But he addresses them as if they were the individuals that did all these things over the last 40 years. He repeatedly says, you did this, you did this, you did this, even though these were the, the children and the children of the children who hadn't been there. And that may seem a little odd, but I think in part it's because it's their history and it influences who they are. That's how they were raised and what their background is. And so it's had a huge impact on them, even though they maybe didn't even experience those things. But it's also in large part because people tend to continue in the same path as those around them as their predecessors and those that surround them at that point in time. The Israelites did this, and we do this today. We tend to make the same kind of decisions that our group has been making, that we've been surrounded with, whether it's our country, our family, our church. We tend to make the same kind of decisions that we've been making over and over, with the exception that we kind of gradually get a little worse and a little worse and further away from God over time, unless we actively and intentionally choose that we're going to learn for our group's history. So with those thoughts in mind, I want to scan through quickly and notice how often he points out their history in the book of Deuteronomy, which, again, is his address to the people, his farewell address. It's not just a quick token nod to history. It permeates the entire book. It permeates his final address. So I think this shows the importance of truly considering their history for them and our history for us uh, and learning from our past mistakes and successes. This is a slide that shows the different passages where he talks about their history. Look at all those, how many times that he does that throughout the book, Deuteronomy. We're going to skim through several of those. We're going to look at the underlined ones. We're going to fly through, so if you want to read along with me, get your fingers warmed up um, and, and turn, but we're going to just hit the underlined ones and talk about each of those quickly and read just a few of them. But I want us to think about the volume of times that he talks about their history and those points that I made already about about how he points out their successes and what was behind it and their failures and what was behind that. Deuteronomy 1, 5 through 8, he begins with the command for them to leave Horeb or Mount Sinai and journey to Canaan. Then in 1, 19 through 44, he recounts what happened with the 12 spies, a story that we're familiar with. In the middle of that, in verse 30 and 31, he reminded them that God had been with them when they left Egypt and all the events that happened, and yet they still hadn't trusted the report of those that said they could go in and take the land, and that that's what resulted in the 40 years of wondering that they are just finally completing. Jumping on to chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, he talks about how God destroyed those people at Baal Peor who had turned to, to worship Baal 
with the people of Moab, but that every single person who had not done that, who had followed Yahweh, was still alive to that very day. Chapter 4, 32 through 36, he again points out the great works God had showed in bringing them from Egypt. Not the first time he's done that, but he goes back and mentions it again. Chapter 5, the first 22 verses, he recounts the giving of the Ten Commandments and how that all occurred. Chapter 7, 17 through 19, I'm going to read this one. Chapter 7, 17 through 19. If you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, and that's because they're getting ready to go into Canaan. These nations are greater than I. How can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you shall remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt, the great trials which your eyes saw, the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand and the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out. So shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. So consider that along with what he tells them in chapter 8, 15 through 17 about why God let them have all of these trials. He says, who led you through that great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. So two points to take out of this that we're going to talk about more in just a moment that we should learn from and be strengthened by seeing God's hand in our history. He points that out to them there. You can see God's hand in your history. That should strengthen you. But he also points out to them, don't credit ourselves for the successes. That's what he said at the end of that passage. My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. That's what they're saying to themselves. His point is, see that it's God's hand. It's not your hand that's brought you these successes. God led you through the difficult times so that you would learn that everything comes from him. Moving back to our, our list of scriptures here, chapter 8, 2 through 5, he again gives them a reminder of the 40 years wandering and the manna and showing God shaping them. Chapter 8, 14 through 16, another reminder of the journey and the hardships and the water from the rock and the manna. Chapter 9, 6 through 10, 11, he recounts the golden calf, some other sins that they had committed, and their response to the 12 spies. So a list there of some things that were not positive in their history, very negative, and where they had sinned and turned away from God. Chapter 11, 1 through 7, he again recounts some of the events they've seen, including the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram, and when the earth swallowed them up and, and them and their families whole. And he concludes at the end of that in chapter 11, verse 7 through 8, 11, 7 through 8, but your eyes have seen every great act of the Lord which he did. Therefore, you shall keep every commandment which I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and possess the land which you go over, which you cross over to possess. So again, he reminds them, see your own failures and see God's hand in your successes. And then jumping towards the end of this list, chapter 29, verses 2 through 9, he gives them another reminder of the exodus from Egypt and the 40 years of wandering and concludes in verse 9, therefore keep the words of this covenant and do them that you may prosper in all you do. And then 31, 1 through 8, he reminds them that they've just conquered some kings just on this side of the Jordan. They haven't gone in yet, but God has had them conquer some kings. And he says in verse 3, the Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And then verse 6, a verse that we know very well, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes before you, or goes with you. He will not leave you, nor forsake you. 
So again, we just hit some of these, but throughout his final address to the people, Moses talked about their history over and over, their successes and their failures, and some of the things he talked about multiple times as he went through there. So a few applications for us. We can and we should learn from our own history. That's exactly what he was doing here. We should see our past failures and recognize that they come from not following God. We should see our past successes and give God the only credit, not ourselves. And we should let that, the fact that we see God's successes in our history, we should let that embolden us more as we face the difficult times that undoubtedly lie ahead, the difficult times that the future brings, recognizing that God will be with us and will lead us through those difficult times if, if we trust and follow him precisely. So I want to quickly consider some of Trader's Point's history because that, that's us. That's our history. That's what affects us. And like Moses did, I'm just going to be direct and say what happened without sugarcoating some of the events that we've seen. The Trader's Point Church of Christ officially started meeting in 1895. A group of Christians left the Christian church at that time and started the Trader's Point Christian Church in 1895. And it was originally a little further south down Lafayette Road. Since that time in 1895, you've had 20 elders. Tim, you're number 20 and 51 evangelists, 20 elders and 51 evangelists over that time. And as a side point, that's a good reminder to us that the church doesn't revolve around the elders or the evangelists. It revolves around the Lord. Just because a preacher leaves, just because an elder leaves, or someone dies doesn't mean the end of the church or the end of, the, of following God. It revolves around the Lord. So jumping to the 1980s, so some 90 years after the, the church started, you had grown to around 100 people. In 1996, the current Bible class program that we have um, was started for young children through adults that repeatedly goes through the entire Bible with a focus on knowing God's word and applying God's word. And that's a key event in our recent history. By the early 2000s, you had grown to over 250 people attending regularly. That's almost doubling in 10 years' time. A group of false teachers tried to infiltrate you, teaching uh, they were meeting with different members privately and teaching that Jesus had already come, what's often known as the AD 70 doctrine. When study with them failed, the elders publicly marked them as false teachers with them present. That was a very uncomfortable event, but exactly what God says to do. In 2004, you had a split in the church with a large group of people leaving and going in different directions. And while there were multiple different factors behind that, ultimately all the leaders were not unified in pointing us to follow God, and we as a people... We're not unified in focusing on serving God in unity, as he demands. We did not follow God precisely. And our number dropped back down from that around 250 people or more to just over 100, because we didn't follow God precisely. We then had an evangelist who was living immorally, a kind of situation that splinters a lot of churches. But you stayed unified in serving God together without anyone else walking away from God. You then had two full-time evangelists, plus John working with us part-time, and a situation arose where some of you were tied to or favored one preacher over the other. Other ones were fans of the other preacher. That's directly against what God says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 13. And when both of those men stepped away from the pulpit under circumstances that the elders felt best to keep private, it caused significant unrest among those who had a favorite evangelist. Fortunately, pointing everyone back, uh, towards God gradually brought us back together, but only after we lost many months of godly focus in what we were doing. But with a continued focus on that, continued focus on God and his word, by, the, by 2020, you had grown to over 325 people. So in just 16 years' time, that's almost a tripling in the number of people 
that was always spurred by growth when we followed God's word. You were then faced with a global pandemic, one which saw many Christians of the world choose to do what they perceived to be safer to their health instead of what God says. But because you followed the guidance of elders and preachers who pointed you to God's word, who talked about what God says about worship, about obedience to the government, about loving our fellow men, what God teaches us about that, and talked about how, what God teaches us about respecting Christians that have different applications of his word, you continued to worship God as he prescribes. You had more baptisms in 2020 than you've ever seen at any time in the church's history during the height of the pandemic because you continued to follow God precisely through a difficult time. So let's learn from this. Let's learn from our history, just like Moses wanted the Israelites to do. No matter what decisions you face as a church in the future, no matter what decisions you face as an individual in the future, go to God's word for answers. They're there. We may not see it, but there's principles there that always, always apply. Go to God's word every time. No matter what it is, those principles are there for us. And when those decisions are difficult, very difficult decisions to make, things that are not going to be easy to do, let your history, the fact that God has been with you every time you follow him, let that empower you to do what's difficult. He's been with you when you follow him. He will continue to be with you when you follow him. Not only is Moses addressed to the people, the book of Deuteronomy, not only is it filled with their history, but he repeatedly recounts the law they had already been given and reminds them to follow it. This is a list of, of, I think, all of the times, certainly most of them, that he reminds them to follow the law. This is not the times he talks about the law. This is the times he's reminding them, follow the law, over and over through the book. Note how many times he tells them in different ways, know God's law, follow God's law. Know God's law, follow God's law, over and over through his final address to them. So again, we're going to fly through these ones that are underlined so that we can kind of get the grasp of what he's saying and the, the volume of times that he says this. Deuteronomy 4, 1 and 2. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord, God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Then in Deuteronomy 11, 1 through, uh, Deuteronomy 4, 11 through 14, he focuses on the law coming from God. Chapter 5, 1 through 22 he calls Israel to him and recounts the Ten Commandments. He doesn't just tell them about the event, but he recounts what those commandments are. You know, if you think about it, they've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. You know he, they've heard these over and over and over over this 40-year time frame. Yet as he gets ready to depart, he gives them to him again, the Ten Commandments. Deuteronomy 5, 32 through 33 Shortly after that, he says, Therefore, you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. Chapter 6, 1 through 9, he reminds them of the importance of always talking about God's laws with the family. And in verse 7, he says, You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And then he goes on in that chapter in verses 10 through 25 to talk more about keeping the law and teaching it to children. A whole chapter devoted to that. Jumping to chapter 10, verses 12 through 13, he says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good? 
That's the center of the law. Fear God, walk in his ways, love him, serve him with all your heart and soul, keep his commands. That sums up everything right there. And interestingly, that's in chapter 10, 12 through 13. You turn to chapter 11, verse 1. He says a summarized version of the exact same thing just a few verses later. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. He then goes on in the same chapter to repeat variations of that almost verbatim in verse 8, verse 13, verse 18 through 21, verse 22, verse 32, all in the same section of instruction. In just over a chapter, he's given that instruction seven times. Love God, keep his commands. Chapter 12, verse 32, he says, Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it or take away from it. Skipping down to the end of the list here, verse 31, or chapter 31, verses 9 through 13, everyone, everyone in Israel was to gather every seven years, and the entire law was to be read to them, so that all men, women, children, and strangers among them would hear it, learn it, learn to fear God, and learn to observe all the law. Then moving back a chapter to chapter 30, verse 11 through 14, as Moses is bringing his final words, his final words to the Israelites to a close, let's read together what he tells them. Deuteronomy 30, verses 11 through 14. For this commandment which I command you today is not too mysterious for you, nor is, it far, nor is it far off. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, Who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it? But the word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may do it. That is, the command of God is not hard to understand. It's in your mouth and in your heart. Or in other words, you know it, you can repeat his words, you can say them, you know what it says. You know what to do. You've been given the word. Then look at what Moses says to them next in Deuteronomy 30, verses 15 through 20. A little bit longer reading here. It's where our reading came from that that Connor read to us. He says, see, this is again at the conclusion of his talk. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. But... If your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. I have set before you life and good, death and evil. Love God, keep his commands. He boils it down to that simple summary. Love God and keep his commands, and you'll have life and good. Don't keep his commands, and you'll have death and evil. You know, if we have something that's a life or death situation, we're going we're gonna to do what it takes to stay alive. That's just the way we're made, and life is that important to us. And he says, I've set that before you today. I've set before you life and good or death and evil, and it's your choice. And so what he's telling him is knowing the law and keeping it is life and good. It's that important. 
It's a life or death situation for you. You got to know it. So let's make that personal. Let's make that personal and kind of reread that applying to us. See Trader's point that I have set before you today, life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, walk in his ways, keep his commandments, his statutes, and his judgments, that you may live and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. The majority of the rest of Deuteronomy, besides recounting their history and reminding them of the importance of knowing the law and keeping the law, is actually repeating the law to them. He gives them the law through all the rest of that. And that's really what the name of the book means, Deuteronomy, repeated law, because he repeats the law. Again, they've heard this law over and over. They've been with Moses for 40 years now, and he's been telling them what to do. Yet as a final reminder, Moses repeats much of the laws to them again, and he reminds them over and over and over to keep it precisely, to know it, to know what it says and keep it. So why would Moses do that? Why would he ask them or remind them again when he's done this for 40 years? Why would he remind them again of what all the laws were and remind them you've got to know this and remind them you've got to keep this precisely? Because he knew they would have a tendency to forget the law. He knew they would have a tendency to not keep it precisely. And unfortunately, we're very much the same today. We need repeated reminders of what God says. We need repeated reminders to keep his word precisely. So let's make some applications out of that. What are some principles we can learn? Well, we need to have a focus on knowing what God says. We need to have a focus on doing exactly what God says. And we need to keep looking back at points number one and two. Keep being reminded that it's important to know it. It's important to do it precisely. So here's a few practical applications for you. Those are some principles, but here's some practical applications for how can, how can we actually use that. Lots of ways we can put that into play. But here's a couple practical ones. Our Bible classes. And note as a side point that our children's classes go through the whole Bible every two years. And in the adults, if you take a different class every time they're offered until you've had all of them, you go through the whole New Testament in eight years. You go through the whole New Testament or Old Testament in 12 years. Kind of like the Israelites who had to hear the whole law every seven years and make sure they'd heard the entire thing. It's a chance to repeat it. But our Bible classes, attend them always. If you don't come all the time, start coming all the time. If you don't come at all, start coming every time. Secondly, with the Bible classes, come prepared. Come prepared for Bible class. That means study ahead of time. That means giving thought to and completing the question sheet that you have about the class to get yourself ready to help guide your study and the things you're going to think about and talk about in class. I'll just tell you, as elders, we've seen a lot of you that come without a question sheet. We've seen a lot of you that come with an empty question sheet or it's not completed. You need to put in the study ahead of time and be prepared for the Bible classes so that you can know God's law, have it in your heart and in your mind, and be able to follow it precisely. Coming prepared for Bible class also means helping your children prepare, having them ready for class so that you go over their material before they ever get to class and they already know the story and the events that are there. That also means going over it with them later in the week so that they get it repeated from you um, later in the week and go over it once again. With the Bible classes, keep them totally Bible-based. As a teacher, as a student, as an elder directing the classes, Keep them totally Bible-based. 
That may sound obvious, but it doesn't happen everywhere. A second practical application is our sermons. Jeremy and John preach from the Bible. So Jeremy and John, keep doing that. Keep everything from the Bible. And all of us keep a focus on those lessons. It's easy to drift off. It's easy to let our minds wander. Keep a focus on the lessons. Think about how it applies to your heart and your actions. And read what they say from the Bible. You know, we have a tendency today to just sit back and listen. We do that with, with things on our mobile devices. We listen to podcasts. We, we listen to all kinds of different things. And we have a tendency to just sit back and let somebody talk to us and tell us what God's Word says. We need to look at it and see it from God's Word. That reinforces in our mind This is what God says. This is God's word. We need to read what's being said to us and let it reinforce that this is coming from God. When we hear a lesson from his word, it's God talking to us. And not it's Jeremy's opinion or John's opinion or the elder's opinion. Look at what his word says. The final point I want to talk about is the leaders to come. This is actually a very rare picture that was taken of Moses and Joshua coming down from Mount Sinai. It's Moses carrying the Ten Commandments. Um, But this is not a point that permeates the book, but it is the conclusion of it, and it's critical for your future. If we briefly look outside of the book of Deuteronomy, if you turn to Numbers chapter 27, you see a historical recounting of the end of Deuteronomy when Moses was about to die. And if you look at what Moses requests of God in chapter Numbers 27, verses 15 through 17, then Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation who may go out before them, And go in before them, who may lead them out and bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord may not be like sheep that have no shepherd. So Moses is about to die. God's told him that. And Moses knows that they need a leader to keep them following God. And we see in that same chapter, Numbers 27, 18 through 23, that God chose Joshua. And then he had Moses inaugurate him as the new leader. And in Deuteronomy 34, 9, we see as part of that, Moses laid his hands on Joshua to show Joshua and to show the people that he was the leader. It was being transferred to him, a transfer of leadership. So some applications for us out of that, for the sake of our leaders. Kevin, who's not able to be here this morning, but he told me he was going to listen to this. So Kevin, Keith, Tim, myself for the next uh, few months here. And in a practical sense, Jeremy and John. Let's see briefly what Moses instructed Joshua. Look at Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8. Deuteronomy 31, 7 and 8. Then Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it. And the Lord, he is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Joshua was about to lead the people in war, conquering an entire new land. And what does Moses remind him of? God is with you. He will be with you. Do not fear. Do what is hard to do. Do it with Yahweh's leadership. So leaders, as you enter the difficult lands that undoubtedly lie ahead, remember that. For the sake of your future choices, of leaders here in the congregation. I'm, I'm leaving soon. Men are going to age. We're going to be selecting new leaders at points down the road. It's at some point down the road. It's important to think about that. Let's consider why God chose Joshua. Why did he choose Joshua over all the other people that were in the congregation? Well, let's go back 40 years when they were fresh coming out of Egypt. If you look at Exodus chapter 24, that's where God started giving the law. 
He was giving Moses the entire law for all the people. And in 2412, he called Moses up to the top of Mount Sinai to give him the law. And if you look at Exodus 2413, it says, So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up to the mountain of God. Now, that may sound like Joshua got dragged along, but if you think about it for a second, when God had started talking to all the people, they didn't want to hear it. They were frightened. They said, don't let God talk to us anymore. It was too much for us to take. Send Moses up. Joshua went up with Moses. Joshua went up to the top of the mountain with Moses. Then God gave the law, all of the law that they had, including the entire tabernacle assembly design, all of the the entire tabernacle. And when Moses came down 40 days later, 40 days later, in Exodus 32, 17, we see Joshua was still with him. Joshua had been up there with him the entire 40 days. And if you look in Deuteronomy 9, 9 through 11, kind of an interesting point, Moses had no bread and no water for that whole 40 days. He was kept alive by the presence of God. And we have to assume the same was true for Joshua since he was there with, with Moses. Kept alive 40 days, just depending on God's presence. And then after giving the law, while the people were moving about in the different places that God led them, traveling, camped about the tabernacle, if you look at Exodus 33, 7 through 11, we see something else interesting about Joshua. It starts in verse 7, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. Verse 9, and it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. Verse 11, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And he would return to the camp, that's Moses, would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Joshua, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle where Moses met God. Joshua stayed where God was. We also see in Numbers 13 and 14, the account of the 12 spies, only Joshua and Caleb stood up for taking the land, for doing God's will. And it got to the point that people were just about to stone Joshua and Caleb. They were that opposed to it. They were still standing up for what God wanted. God had to intervene. His glory appeared and stopped the people from stoning Joshua and Caleb. That's how strongly they were set on following God's way. That They were willing to be stoned to continue to follow that. He stood up for God's plan even when it was extremely unpopular. So for 40 years now, Joshua's been focused on God, willing to do the hard things that God wants him to do, no matter how hard it was. So all of this shows us the need for qualified leaders, the need for qualified leaders, and who is qualified to be a leader like Joshua was. So Trader's Point, use extreme caution in who you select to be your leaders. Use extreme caution in who you select to be your leaders. There's much more than just a quick checklist to run through in Titus chapter 1 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. It takes wisdom. It takes someone who is God-focused. Joshua had had been on the mountain 40 days fed by God. He stayed in the tent of meeting where God was. And so like Joshua, a true leader for God is willing to do the hard things, to lead the people where they should go, not where they want to go. A true leader for God leads towards God's way even when it's very unpopular by pointing the people to God. So use extreme caution in who you select as leaders. Younger men. A lot of younger men in the congregation. I can say younger because there's a lot of you younger than me. Start now developing your life to be the type of person who can be a leader for God. Doesn't mean you have to be put in a leadership position, but be the type of person who can be a leader. Start your life now doing that. Pattern yourself after and spend time with good leaders. That's what Joshua did. 
He was with Moses. He followed Moses around. He learned from Moses. Pattern your life after good leaders. Spend time with them so that you can get to know them. Focus your sights on God, just like Joshua did. Then we'll have plenty of men who are clearly capable of being leaders for God, like Moses and like Joshua. So I'll be serving you as an elder only a short time more, um, probably a few months. It really it just depends on, on a few things that happen in our life. But it's going to give me great sadness to leave you. Um, it's been a very difficult decision for us. But I move on to the next part of my life with a clean conscience toward you. I've given my all to point you towards God, to, to teach you the things that, you, that I think you need to know from his word, and to lead you towards God. So my final thoughts to you are really, I'm, I'm taking them right from what Moses said, because I think his, his words, there's nothing better to leave you with than what he left them with. Learn from your history. Look back at it over and over. God will bless you over and over if you keep following him precisely. No matter how difficult the circumstances are, he will bless you over and over. Keep following him no matter what. But that means you have to know his word. You have to know his word fully so that you can focus on doing it precisely. Use the Bible classes. Use the preaching. You spend your time focused on God's word, making sure that you know it and that you can live it and you recognize what's true and what's not. And choose men like Joshua and Moses to lead you. And as they are pointing you to God... Follow them. We're going to stand in just a moment and sing an invitation song, what we call an invitation song. If your life isn't exactly aligned with God's word, make that right now while we, while we sing the song in a moment. If you're a Christian and you simply need to make some changes in your life, you need to take, have that between you and God, take care of that today. Do it now. Don't wait any longer. If you're a member of this church family and you've done things that other people know about and you feel like they need to, they need to, to know so that they realize that you've repented, you need to have them pray for you. Do that now. Don't wait any longer. If you're not a Christian, meaning you haven't put on Christ in baptism, don't wait any longer. Do that now. So whatever your needs are, if it's something we can help you with publicly, make your way to the front while we stand and sing.